Have you ever had a good intention? You know, a good intention where you, you have a really good idea, but you never kind of get around to doing that idea? Somebody proposed one time the interesting dynamics of whether nature would run by committees. What would, be that, what would that look like if nature was run by committees? And the cartoon expressed a couple of deer sitting up on top of a hill, and they're looking down at one of their fallen friends who is in the middle of a pack of wolves. And one of the deer says to the other deer, you know, they just came up so quick, there was no time for us to get a second on the motion to run away. Second on the motion to run away. It had a chance. They had a good intention of running away, but it just kind of did not happen. Irma Bombeck, the author and funny lady, when her and her husband built their house, they decided to include an exercise room. Well, years later, there was someone visiting their house. They opened the door to the exercise room, and they saw that the floor of the exercise room was, was full of stuff and that there were things stacked up to the top of the walls in the exercise room. And so the visitor said, hey, what room is this? And they said, well, that's the exercise room. And they said, what in the world do you exercise in there? And Irma Bombeck said, I exercise my right to not exercise. Someone once said that there's always a gap between intention and action. A gap between the thinking and the doing. This is true for us as Christians, right? There's a, a gap sometimes between us hearing the Bible and reading the Bible, but then actually doing what the Bible says. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we go from listening to sermons to living out sermons? How do we go from reading devotions to being devoted to Jesus? Well, that's our journey in Titus. We're going to use Apostle Paul's letter to Titus to help us bridge that gap. And really, we're going to use it as our building plan for this bridge. Well, who was Titus? Well, Titus was a friend of Paul's, and, and Paul appointed and tapped Titus to be the leader of the church on the island of Crete. Well, where is Crete? Well, Crete is about 200 miles southeast of Athens, Greece, out in the Mediterranean Sea. U.S. News and World Report ranked it the 13th best island in the world. And if that's true, then you know that tourism is very high on the island of Crete. One travel site has described Crete in this way. Crete is a magical quilt of splendid beaches, ancient treasures, and landscapes encompassing vibrant cities and dreamy villages where locals will share with you their traditions, wonderful cuisine, and generous spirit. Well, that just sounds great, right? Well, the traditions during the time of Titus, the traditions of the island of Crete could be wrapped up into one hyphenated word, and that word is self-centered. The people of ancient Crete were selfish. They were greedy. They were immoral. In fact, there was an ancient phrase that was coined for the kind of person that came from Crete, and the phrase was, play like a Cretan. And what it meant was you were a liar. The people of Crete were known, their society, their culture was known for lies. 
Their society, their culture was known for greed and for selfishness and for immorality. We're going to have a hard time with Titus, right? I mean, we don't make any connection with those things, right? I mean, our society, our culture, we don't have any lies or any greed or, or any selfishness or any immorality, right? Now, the truth is we shouldn't have too much trouble listening to the words of Titus because the reality is we are still living in a culture just like that of the island of Crete. The reality, though, is Titus was there because there were some Christians in the middle of all that immorality. And those Christians, they had good intentions for following Jesus, but the problem was they took their eyes off the truth of Jesus. And you know what happens when a believer takes his eyes or her eyes off the truth of Jesus? They get distracted. And all of a sudden, they are no longer focused on Jesus. John Benton writes, When people are confused about life and there seem to be no well-understood answers to life's ultimate questions, then looking after number one is the only idea that makes sense. He goes on to say, The lack of any generally accepted values or purpose in life leaves contemporary people disoriented with nothing to do but what is right in their own eyes. That's why we are turning our attention to Titus. To help us bridge the gap between what we believe and how we behave. To help us avoid the dangers of doing what is right in our own eyes. To help us avoid the dangers of only doing what we think is right. Of looking out for number one. We're looking at Titus to to help us see the answers to the ultimate questions of life. We're looking at Titus so that we can see what our purpose in life really is. We're looking at Titus because we don't want to ignore the truth of Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on the truth of Jesus. I think this is going to be a great journey for all of us. And let's start this morning with verse 1. Paul a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Imagine I was writing a letter to a state senator, and I was writing him a letter concerning some legislation that was about to be passed that was going to impact my children. And imagine the way that this state senator handles incoming mail is one of his staffers brings it into staff meeting every week, and, and they read through the mail out loud. The staffer just reads the mail. And imagine that I begin my letter with this, Dow, father of four, and pastor of Holland Avenue Baptist Church. See, that greeting would communicate to the staff that I'm not some strange, anonymous wacko who thinks that all politicians are bad and all of them should have their houses egged every night. No, the opposite would be communicated. See, they would hear that this is a letter coming from a concerned father from a concerned leader in the community, and, and maybe it would be okay to listen to my concern. You see, this is not just a letter to one person. It's not just a letter to Titus. This letter was going to be taken out into the church, and, and they were going to hear it read over and over and over again. But why should they listen to it? Why should these people listen to this letter? Well, they should listen to this letter because it wasn't a letter coming from some strange, anonymous, wacko, radical religious leader who was just trying to get enough money so that he could go buy a fleet of luxury camels for his worldwide ministry. He wasn't a wacko. No, this letter was written by Paul. 
the one who actually made sure that these people heard about Jesus to begin with. They had every reason to pay attention to this letter. But just in case, Paul went ahead and put his greeting in there that he was a bondservant of the Lord and that he was an apostle of the Lord. What does that mean? What do those titles mean? What's a, what's a bondservant? What's an apostle? Well, the word servant here could also be translated slave. The people on the island of Crete would know about slavery. The, the systems of slavery were rampant in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Now, the slavery there was very different than what we might connect with the, the violent racial slavery of Old Testament Egypt or even America in the 1800s. Now, this kind of slavery during this time was much different. Some of these slaves were trained to be doctors and teachers. Some of them were nurses. Some of them were able to help in a lot of different areas of life. Some of them were managers of the master's house. Some of them were managers of the master's business. They weren't completely free. They still had a master. But many of them volunteered to be servants for the master. That's the language that Paul is using here. He's using the language of, of volunteering to be a servant. This is a, a well-educated man who came from a good family, and he is saying that his deepest, most joyful desire is to be a slave for Jesus. Remember, the, the people on the island of Crete were, were known for being selfish and greedy. They were known for looking out for number one. They were known for doing whatever was right in their own eyes. It was a very me-centered culture. And so Paul comes in and he wants them to know right off the bat that his number one is very different from their number one. That he's still looking out for number one. But his number one is Jesus Christ. See, the call to follow after Jesus, the call to be a Christian, is not primarily a call to a religion. It's not primarily a call to, to join a religion or to join a church or even to become a better person. This is what Jesus said. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Deny yourself and lose yourself. Those aren't exactly phrases that draw crowds, you know. Deny yourself, lose yourself. There was a crowd of Christians, though, on the island of Crete. They would get together and they would listen to this letter read over and over again. They would listen to these words from a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, a Christian, a man, a leader who called himself a slave. A slave, someone who has lost their life, someone who is denying their life, someone who is saying that their life is now owned by their master. That's how Paul talks about himself. You know, Christianity is no different today than it was in Paul's time. You see, the same demands are still there. The call to follow after Jesus Christ has not changed with its demands. The call is to repent of your sin. It means to re repent of your rebellion against God and, and His ways. The call to come after Jesus Christ still involves denying yourself. Denying every claim in life to get glory and get attention for what you do. And the call to follow Jesus still includes losing yourself. Losing the obsession with getting your way. Those are still the call 
of the cross. Still the call of what it means to follow Jesus. To repent, to deny, to lose, and to follow. You see, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. He died so that the penalty of sin would no longer rule our lives. He frees us from the penalty of sin when we put our faith in Him. Therefore, it is not a burden to be a servant to Jesus. It's not a burden to be a slave to Jesus. On the contrary, because of what Jesus has done, there should be a joyful desire in those who follow him every day to say, I want to serve you always. Because of who you are, because of what you have done, Jesus, I want to serve you. Paul was a bondservant. He was a slave of the Lord. But he wasn't just a bondservant. He was also an apostle. What does that mean? Well, the apostles are known as the people who were directly connected to Jesus. So Paul's writing and including the apostle part here. What he's saying is this. Look, I'm not writing to you because I got licensed and ordained at Lizard Lick Baptist Church. Okay, I'm not writing to you because I have a lot of theological degrees that I've earned. I'm not writing to you because I've been a denominational leader for years in our denomination. I'm not writing to you as your old buddy, old pal, old friend. Paul says, I'm writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you because Jesus himself has made me his messenger and his ambassador. That's not a small thing. How did Paul become an apostle, though? Well, he became an apostle because of Jesus. Because of the risen Jesus that the choir sang about. You see, Paul may not have been hanging out with the first apostles, so to speak, and and being with Jesus right after the resurrection. But he wants to be clear that the reason that he is calling himself an apostle is because the risen Jesus invaded his world on the road to Damascus. This is how he put it in his own simple language. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, I received this. I didn't invent this. This isn't a figment of my imagination. The gospel is something that I was given. Paul says, I was walking down the road and suddenly I'm laying in the dirt. I could see and then the next minute I couldn't see. And I'm scrounging all over the place. And then in that moment, the risen Jesus appeared. The risen Jesus engaged me. And when Paul could not physically see, Jesus opened the eyes of his heart to the gospel. And that's why he's an apostle. Paul is saying, I did not send myself to you, Titus. I did not send myself to the church at Crete. I was sent by Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus send him? Why was Paul writing this letter to Titus? Well, a couple of reasons. The first one is there in verse 1. For the faith of those chosen of God. Paul was writing this letter for the building up of the faith of the believers. Now, I don't want to run by that word chosen. That word chosen would have made no big deal to the people on the island of Crete when they read this letter. But you say the word chosen these days, and man, every fire alarm and every sprinkler system goes off in the building. So I'm not planning on getting anybody wet or making you listen to loud sirens. But I do think it's good for us not to run by these words or to tell God what his words mean. 
The truth of the matter is, I have no idea how to do the math on how the Bible describes what it means to be chosen by God. The math doesn't make sense to me. But then again, I also have not grown up in a country that has a true monarchy. See, the reality is we live in a democracy. We get to vote. We get to have our say. And we praise God for the freedoms that we have. We praise God for the grace of living in our country. But Christianity is not a democracy in any way, shape, or form. The psalmist says this about God. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Nobody in this room does whatever he or she pleases. You may think you do. You may think, man, your Saturdays are yours, or, or you just do whatever you do with your life. But it's not really true. Because, see, the reality is if the stock market crashes and you lose everything you have, if the doctor says the disease is terminal, you don't do whatever you please. You are immediately under the authority, to some degree, of the economic order or the created natural order. See, those moments, they never happen to God. God has nothing in authority over him, including me, including my inability sometimes to understand the big theological truths of the Bible. See, the reality is when it comes to approaching the Bible, I always approach with the simple reminder that I did not create the world and everything that's in it. At least last time I checked, I was not the guy that created the world and everything that's in it. And so I approach the Bible knowing that God is God, knowing that God is higher and greater, knowing that God is king. And when it comes to things I don't understand, I am not the final authority, and neither are you. My belief and your belief are not the final authority. The final authority is the word of God, period. And even the words in the word that we can't get our minds around, all the authority still goes to God. So with that said, our mission in life never changes. We build our lives on the Word of God, and we make a big deal out of Jesus everywhere we go. This is the functionality of our Christian life. This is the bridge. We go from belief to behavior because of who Jesus is. And that is exactly why Paul is writing this letter to Titus and to the church at Crete. See, they had good intentions of following Jesus. They had this idea that, that Jesus and the truth about Jesus was real, but somehow it didn't make it into their daily life. It's the whole attitude of want a little bit of God and, and want a little bit of the world. It's the whole attitude of you know, having your cake and wanting to eat it too. Why do we use that? If I have cake, I want to eat it. I'm going to eat it. That's a phrase we should just quit using. That makes no sense. If there's cake in front of me, I'm, I'm going to eat it. But spiritually speaking, what was happening is these Christians were flip-flopping. A little bit of the world, a little bit of God. And I mean, we, we don't know anything about that, right? I mean, we never see those kind of things in our life, right? Now, the truth is we all struggle with those things. And that's exactly why Paul's writing. He's writing to increase our faith. He's writing to help us see that this Jesus Christ is real. That this salvation that we have is, is not religion. It is hope. It is truth. It is not based on a story about someone. It is based on someone. It is based on a person who lived and died and rose again. And no one else can claim what Jesus claims. Our salvation is real. Our faith is real. And Paul wants to build it. How does he want to build it? Look at the second reason why he wrote this letter in verse 1. 
for the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. I read a story about a year ago about a philosophy student. The philosophy student had wrote this very significant research paper for one of his classes, and the topic of his research paper was why there were no objective moral principles of truth in the world. That there are no objective moral principles of truth in the world. That's what the paper was on. From an academic standpoint, it was a great paper. His research was excellent. He wrote it well. His argumentation was good. Everything academically about this paper should have meant that he got an A. But the professor took out his red pen, and across the front of his paper, he wrote a big red F. And underneath it, he wrote, I do not like blue covers. The student was outraged. He came to the office. He walked in. He marched in. He said, what in the world are you doing? How in the world can you do this? This is ridiculous. My paper should not be graded on the color of my cover. It should be graded on the content of the paper. Professor said, you talking about the paper that you turned in that says there are absolutely no objective moral principles of truth or fairness or justice? Student said, yeah, that's the one. So the professor said, well then, I do not like blue covers. Therefore, you get an F. This is what Michael Horner says about it. Suddenly the student realized that he really did believe in objective moral principles like fairness and justice. And he was expecting them to be applied to his situation right then and there. See, we live in this community, in the Bible Belt, in South Carolina. We live in this world. Not some distant world of Islam. Not some distant world of atheism. Right here in our community in the Midlands, we live in a culture that says truth is whatever you want it to be. It is the culture and society that we live in. It's the exact same culture and society that Titus and the people of Crete lived in. See, they had this idea that God's truth was good but it wasn't the ultimate standard of truth. And yet it is the ultimate standard of truth. You see, on the island of Crete, just like on the island of South Carolina, the people were flip-flopping. <laughs> see, they were thinking that it would be okay to, to have God's truth. It's a good thing, but then it would be okay to not always live out that truth. There was a distance between what they were believing and what they we're doing with their behavior. We struggle with the exact same thing, right? We can't just say God's great and God is good and then live like he's not. There has to be consistency. See, the reality is we've been called to be like Jesus Christ. We've been called to follow Jesus Christ. And we can't be like Jesus if we do not have the truth about Jesus simmering in the crock pot of our heart. It's got to always be there. It's got to always be around. You may have heard the story about the security guard who watched the main gate at the plant. One night, one of the workers came out with a wheelbarrow. It had a, a big, huge bag in that wheelbarrow. Security guard said, hey, what you got in the bag? Guy opened it up. It was sawdust and, and wood chips. He said, I'm just taking this stuff I got off the floor, and I'm just going to take it home to you know, use to heat my home. Security guard let him go. Next night, same thing. Guy comes through the wheelbarrow, the big, huge bag, opens it up. Sawdust, wood chips. On and on this goes, night after night after night. Security guard's thinking something up. He's not really sure what's going on. Finally, one night, he says, look, I need to ask you something. He said, I know you're stealing something. 
I can't figure out what you're stealing. I don't know what's going on. I'm not even going to turn you in. I'm just going crazy. What in the world are you stealing? And the man said, wheelbarrows. That was a little better than the first one, you know. See, as believers, we're not much different than the people of Crete. See, they were having their faith almost taken out from under them. See, we, we are so busy with the bags of life. We're even busy with the bags of religion that sometimes we don't realize when the wheelbarrow of our faith is being stolen right under our nose. See, that's the message Paul was trying to get to Titus and to these believers. He wanted them to, to bridge this gap. He wanted them to understand that what they believed and how they behaved, it mattered, not just as evangelism, although it very much does, but just for the good of their own hearts, that what they did matched what they believed. The same is true for us. The reality is we need to bridge that gap. And the only way we can bridge that gap, the only way our beliefs and our behaviors can start matching, the only way we can avoid the dangers of looking out for number one, the, the dangers of just doing what's right in our own eyes, the only way that we can find the ultimate answers to life's questions, the only way that we can find purpose to our life is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. There, there is no other way. This is what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free. Jesus has released the chains of sin. And he has called us to follow him. True freedom, true life is only found in Jesus. Let us bridge what we believe. Let us bridge it to our behavior. And let us live like free people. Repenting, denying, losing, following, and finding joy in Jesus. Let's pray.